1: the point is this, do not let other people dictate what you can and can't do because they couldn't do it. And I don't care who it is. You know, there are people who love you, who love you, and they don't want to see you hurt. So they tell you things because they don't want to see you fail. But failure is good. Failure makes character. Because if you can come back from failure, now you're not scared. What's the worst that can happen? I failed at that already. I learned from it and I'm a building me better.
0: Thanks all for tuning into Dreamcatchers where we make things happen. was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life forward to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education inspiration and direction this podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams are you ready hey everybody and welcome to the dream catchers podcast i'm your host jerome and i got a very special guest with me today john casman I met John at the Multifamily Investor Nation Summit. It sounds funny saying that since that was a virtual summit, (laughs) but both of us had uh, discussions that we had opportunity to lead. John was talking about thought leadership platforms, and uh, he's got a great uh, podcast that I listen to regularly. It's called Target Insights. And, you know, my favorite question on the whole deal is, you know, what's your favorite place to eat? And so, John... With that little intro, will you uh, dive in and tell the folks a little bit about you and what your current focus is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jerome, first and foremost, thank you for having so, having me on this show, Dream Catchers Podcast. And uh, I'm really excited to be here talking to you today. We've been able to get to know each other a little bit over the last you know, a couple months or so. And uh, really excited about what you got going on and talking to your audience today. Uh, So for myself, you know, you mentioned a podcast, Target Market Insights, you know, we just eclipsed over a hundred episodes on that. So really excited to teach people about both multifamily and marketing. So we're continuing to expand that that platform. We just kind of went to uh, twice a week as far as the podcast episodes go and just, you know, really getting some great guests. You know, you, you've been on the show, uh, some fire guests, some fire content, And I'm really excited about growing that. Uh, To give a little bit more background on myself, I have a background in marketing. So coming out of school, I studied marketing, uh, got an internship at an advertising agency, and basically worked in advertising and marketing for 15 years. Worked on some major campaigns. I've done everything from Super Bowl activations to New Year's, Times Square, you know, in the middle of it, watching the ball drop, working on my brands. Uh, to NCAA Final Four, to doing some stuff with you know, rap artists and different musicians. So I've done a whole bunch of really cool things. Um, but part of what was going on is I was on the corporate side um, at General Motors uh, on the client side. And I was there from 2007 to 2011. So if any of your listeners were in corporate America or maybe coming out of school around that time, you know, it was really tight getting a job because we went into that recession in 2008. Well, I was working for GM. Uh, when that was going on. So when I'm, when y'all turn on CNN and watching reports, I'm turning on watching my boss, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, going through that process with the layoffs and things like that, that was very tough. And ultimately what it did for me is it, it took me back to a previous time when I was in school and I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it talked about, you know, the different t- types of income. And really, to me, that m- moment, solidified the desire and the need to create my own and not to be solely relying upon a corporate job to cover my income because I watched people who had dedicated their careers 20 plus years to this company in um, any company. It doesn't matter about that company, but any company. And uh, there's one individual in particular. I remember him leaving a voicemail to everybody on the floor and he was diabetic and he basically said he didn't know how he was going to pay for his insulin this man worked for a company for 20 plus years, large corporations, the dream job. And just like that, this guy doesn't even know he's going to pay for his medicine. And for me, it was just one of those things where it was sad, but I also think you have to take action. And for me at that moment, um, I began my journey of both passive income as well as kind of finding that that next springboard to a different career down the road.
0: So what is that springboard? What, what's producing the passive income for you right now? Yes,
1: yeah, so we're heavily investing in multifamily properties. So right now we are, you know, we've helped other folks invest in over 700 units. We actually have another deal we're getting ready to close, uh, but we've invested in over 700 units, valued around $70 million. So we are just continuing to work with folks to invest. And for me, the way that journey started was um, we certainly didn't start with super large apartments. So we started with the duplex. I moved to Chicago and uh, with the intention of buying or house hacking is what they call it. Uh, So we were going to house hack. We bought a duplex. We lived in one unit and then we rented out the other, we being my wife and I. So we did that. We bought a two unit. And for me, um, I wanted to make sure this thing I'd read about and had been studying for years. I mean, going back to college, you know, I, I was interested in real estate for a long, long time. And it probably took, you know, 10, 12, 10, 11 years to, you know, formally pull the trigger on that first investment purchase. Did that. And that worked, you know, pretty much according to plan, much better than I could have anticipated because I didn't factor in the appreciation. I wasn't factoring in that it was 2012 and that the market was going to just recover and go up which it did. So we bought a three unit building and that did well. We bought an eight unit building and that started to do well. And the challenge for me was I realized while we were growing this and we were getting this passive income, we had a lot of friends and family and other folks who said, Hey, I'd love to invest in real estate, but I'm not going to invest the time and energy that I see you doing to invest. I'm not going to go to all these meetups. I'm not going to read all these books. I'm not going to go to all these podcasts. And At first I was, you know, I pretty much shrugged my shoulders because I just told them what I was doing. I'm like, well, that's how you do it. And what I started to learn was there was an opportunity to help those individuals while also helping us because we were investing all of our own money. So every dollar I had, basically we were saving and we would buy another property. So you want to talk about sacrificing. I lived in that same duplex um, up until about three weeks ago. You know, we lived in that duplex, and I had rented it out. The other unit, and you know, we had bought a house to live. I ended up selling that, and so you know, we had two kids basically in a, a 1,000 square foot apartment. So it was four of us doing.
0: Come on, man, are you serious?
1: Yeah, To so yeah.
0: ago, like when you just moved to Cincinnati. Just moved
1: to Cincinnati. Yeah, I lived in that same place for the last seven years.
0: Come on now, you were a top level marketer now. I mean, you make a little bit of change. Why would you do that?
1: I I guess, you know, part of it for me was twofold. One, it's not as, it's like my wife's a vegetarian, right? So people ask her like, oh, you know, don't you wanna try this, this meat or don't you wanna try this steak? And she's like, no, because if you've never had steak, you don't miss steak. If you just go vegetarian, you don't miss it. I've never lived in a big house, ever. You know, I mean, my dad had a, you know, a a decent sized house, things like somewhere in the 1,500 to 2,000 square feet um, range. But, But I grew up in an apartment. So for me, and then coming out of college, I lived in dorms. Coming out of the dorms, you know, going to work in corporate America, I wasn't, you know, I was in Detroit. I wasn't, I saw the writing on the wall to an extent. So I didn't buy a house when I moved there. I was single, you know, single dude. You don't really need a house. So I was, I rented an apartment. So I've rented an apartment basically since I was, 18, you know, so from 18, from dorms to apartment style living is what I've done. So for me, it was easy just to stay doing that. It was familiar, it was comfortable. Even for my wife, it wasn't like we had this 3,000 square foot house we downsized to an apartment. So I would say for your listeners, especially those who are a little bit younger, just you know, buy it. You know, the difference is just simply instead of you paying the rent, you're collecting rent and you're acting just like the other person except they paying the mortgage and you're building your equity. So for me, it was a very simple thing where if I would have waited to do that, maybe I wouldn't have been as comfortable, but doing that flat you know, coming straight out of renting an apartment to buying the building, I think was a straight, a great strategy for us.
0: Yeah, no question, man, that's awesome. And the fact that you didn't grow your lifestyle with your income is another key to building wealth. I, I think that's probably in the millionaire next door. So you told me about the GM and the issues that we were having when in the last recession. Are there a couple of other defining moments that you can think of that kind of got you to the place where you are today?
1: When I started running out of our money, we're investing, because I I really didn't want to um, ask people for money. I was really concerned about coming across as I was begging or asking people for money. And I I just didn't want to do that. And I had to have a change of mindset. Because what I realized when people were asking me about real estate and investing in explaining or sharing that they had an interest, what they were really saying was, man, I really wish there was a way to invest without having to do all the education. Now, at the same time, I was sitting there looking at deals that I could go out and buy, but I didn't have the money because I had tied up all of my money and all the other deals. I never pulled out money. So all, even going back to that duplex, we bought it. I built up a lot of equity in that and I kept it in there or I would do a line of credit and I would buy more properties with it. So I I never had like just money sitting in my bank account. When it was sitting, it was just saving, waiting for the next investment. So a mindset shift took place when I started talking to other more successful investors and had a a friend of mine. And specifically, she went from nine units to 90 units in all of about three months. And it floored me. And I, I sat down with her. I said, hey, I've known you for a few years. Um, I just want to do breakfast with you. And I would love to pick your brain, right? Everyone always wants to pick your brain. But, um, you know, but she was a friend. So it wasn't like it was, a, you know, there's a value exchange there. And she told me, listen, everyone I know, who is really growing, they're doing it one of two ways. The first way is they're flipping properties to generate cash to buy the apartment or the, the multifamily they're looking for. The second way, is going out and working with other investors, pooling the resources together and buying buildings based off of that. Now, being you know um, a bit, I don't know, overzealous, I decided to do both. Uh, I do not recommend that. I recommend picking an option and, and going with one. But the flipping, I realized that was a bit more challenging because flipping is not the same as multifamily investing, right? Flipping is very hands-on. It's every day. There's something. Than taking place. And you kind of have to either have a crew that you really can trust or you have the knowledge yourself or be on site every day. And working in corporate America, I didn't have the ability to be at the property every day. So that didn't work quite as well. It was okay, but I it wasn't the right thing for me. Now, working with other investors, on the other hand, especially when you scale into larger apartments where you can hire a professional crew, professional property manager, and other folks to oversee the asset, that worked way better. So that's really where we started leaning in. But that pivotal moment came from a relationship because I started talking to people and asking questions. And that, that question from her led me down the path of other people's money and work with investors. That led me into meeting my mentor and coach and learning what he was doing. And then that led me into starting to actually talk to people and let them know, hey, here's what we're doing. Is starting to raise capital for deals and ultimately to the point now where we've connected and we've helped a lot of different folks to the tune of around a $70 million portfolio that we've helped investors invest in.
0: Now, John, I when I think about other people's money, I think about the securities laws and some of the stuff where you can get in real trouble if you don't know what you're doing. So I know there's like a 503B and like a 503C and, you know, for a lot of people, it gets pretty confusing. In fact, you know, I tripped up on it when you, we talked a couple of days ago. So can you talk about the idea and some of the risk associated with taking other people's money into a deal and, you know, them, what it actually means to be selling securities, if that's what you're doing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and great comment to make. I would say first and foremost, you know, um, part of the reason I was hesitant, I mentioned this before, was I just didn't want to come across as needy or or begging for people's money or anything like that. You know, I, I feel like I've been, I'm going to use the term self-made. I know none of us are fully 100% self-made, but the point is, is that, you know, I put in the work, the money I earned is the money I invested. So I, I felt uncomfortable at first working with other people. Um, but the SEC, feels the same way. <laughs> they wanna make sure that you're operating uh, on the up and up and they have some laws and some rules uh, to manage the engagement. And you have to keep, it, keep in mind, You know, this all dates back to you know different issues and situations that they've come across. So they're trying to protect people ultimately. So there's two things to know, right? There's two types of investors, um, or I, I should say two types of investors that can invest in these kinds of deals. There are uh, accredited investors and sophisticated investors. And then there's non-sophisticated investors. If you're non-sophisticated, then you're not really eligible to invest in most uh, most of the offerings that you'll see investors put out there. But accredited, what accredited means is that you are either making an income of $200,000 solo, jointly you're making an income of 300,000, or you have a net worth of $1 million, not including your own residence. Okay. So either one of those three and you qualify as an accredited investor. Now, a sophisticated investor is someone who doesn't meet the accredited investor's criteria, but they are savvy enough to understand and evaluate investments. So maybe it's someone who invests in stocks. Maybe it's someone who invests in real estate. Uh, maybe it's someone who has a profession, like they're, they're uh, an engineer or a financial uh, broker, or they're a real estate agent, but someone who Relatively speaking, has the ability to evaluate investment opportunities. Um, what the SEC wants to make sure is that you're not just taking advantage of folks, right? So just because someone got a little bit of money and they have the money to invest, that doesn't mean that they're savvy or sophisticated enough to actually make that investment. The other piece to it is on the accredited, I should have said this too, it has to be for the last two years. So just because grandma, maybe she just got an inheritance, that doesn't mean now you can take grandma's money or grandma can go and invest in one of these kind of deals and she's a credit because she has it. They want to protect it and make sure that you're fully educated and you've got the right people around you to invest in these deals. So your question was about 506B, 506C. 506C deals are for credit investors only. So basically you have to meet one of those qualifications to be able to invest in those deals. Uh, There's different laws around what you can do to market a 506C deal. You basically could do whatever you want. You can do a billboard, you can, you know, blast Facebook with, Take out Facebook ads, tell the world, here's what we're doing. Um, a 506B offering, it allows for sophisticated investors to come into the deal. Um, the caveat, though, is you have a cap of how many sophisticated investors you can bring in. So you can only get up to 35 sophisticated investors, and you cannot advertise it broadly. You have to have a pre existing relationship with each one of those investors, including the accredited investors. So that's kind of the, the trade-off there between going 506C and 506B on any kind of offering.
0: The sophistic. Hey guys, back in 2016, me and the team decided to formalize Dreamcatchers as an organization to help people achieve their wildest dreams. If this is you, please visit our website at dreamshouldbeReal.com in order to find out the details of our services and how we can help you become a Dreamcatcher. Talk to you soon. The sophisticated threshold is pretty loose, man. I don't know if I feel comfortable with it or not, but, you know, it is it is part of the game. And the pre-exist, even establishing a relationship, it makes me uncomfortable because how do you document that? How do you make it so that if something goes wrong? Because as long as everything goes right, there's not an issue. But if somebody loses their money and it was probably their last or they're pretty upset about it, um, things can get ugly if you get reported to the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, do you have any thoughts around that or how you guys are protecting your company?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things. One, that's a great question, great comment. Um, there are some gray areas when it comes to you know someone's knowledge base or level of sophistication, even the accredited. I mean, just because someone makes a lot of money doesn't mean they actually understand investing. There are folks who, maybe they have a highly skilled profession where from a a book standpoint, they're extremely intelligent or skilled in a certain matter, but that doesn't mean they can evaluate investment risk or investment opportunities. Um, so one of the things we do is we do focus on the education for that reason. That's why we do our podcast where we talk to folks about what to look for. We write articles, we write blogs. Um, and then ultimately, I feel like it's part of partially my job to educate folks on the deal. Hey, here's what I see in the deal. Here's what I like. Here are some of the risks. Here are the things that we're looking at. Here's how we're going to mitigate those risks. Uh, And then ultimately what happens is there's what we call a private placement memorandum or PPM. And that document really details all the risk and everything else that's involved with the investment. So having someone review that, ask questions, they basically sign a document that states they understand what risks are involved in the deal, that they're, you know, they're, they're comfortable with it, that they are sophisticated and knowledgeable about it. But ultimately for me, the point is not to um, rely solely on paperwork. I want people to feel good investing with us. So if someone's not comfortable, there are times where I'll tell someone, um, Hey, you know what? I don't think you're either ready for this deal or, you know, I'd like to get to know you a little bit better first Um, but I think that it's comfortable to do that because it's a two way thing, you know, investments, you know, as I'm looking to help people, they have to also be the right fit. And I kind of have to do the same process to ensure they're a right
0: fit for our deals. I woke up to an email this morning from a guy that I guess heard me on one of the podcasts I've done. He's like, Hey man, I'm an LP and we've got some check boxes. I asked if he was accredited or, you know, what else he had going on and he's not accredited but he was just reaching out and letting me know he was LP, and I was just like, "Well, I don't know what to do with this, right? Because you know, I'm not going to put you in a deal because I don't know you, and you're reaching out to me solely to invest." But it's interesting just to see how people are looking for opportunities. There's a lot of money in the marketplace, and um, you know, you just got to be careful with what money you put into your deals. From my perspective, everything that I've done so far has been with people I've known for probably 10 or 20 years, and we've done JV partnerships, which mm-hmm. I feel more comfortable with those. I don't think the SEC is coming for me for those. Um, so when you think across, you know, your life, what's the three biggest lessons that you've picked up?
1: Oh, good question. The first one is resiliency, right? So, I mean, if I'm thinking about this from different um, skills or, or lessons that I want to take away, I think resiliency is the biggest one. I'll give you a couple of examples. I used to wrestle in high school. I know you don't look at me and see, you know, the, the baby version of the rock, but you know I was a big time no I'm kidding uh, <laughs> but I did I wrestled in high school now most people who say stuff like that tell you they were state champ or they were district champ or nah not me I lost every match my freshman year every match right and I would come home I mean my eye would be like you know almost closed I'm getting it dragged on the mat and um, all of these different things, man. I mean, just like, you know, I was a little bit of a pretty boy back in, back in high school too. So I used to, you know, grow my hair out, had an afro going and wouldn't get it cut until I got a W and, you know, I had all sorts of different things. And, um, I remember everyone around me, even people I love, my grandmother's is my favorite, you know, person on this planet. And even my grandmother asked me, why don't you quit? And I had a lot of people saying that. And, and the part of the reason I didn't quit was there was a guy, I was also in marching band. I'm, I'm probably a, a pretty peculiar guy. I used to play chess and marching band. And I also like to fight and wrestle and stuff like that. So I was a strategic fighter, I guess. <laughs> but uh, in marching band, I remember I was talking to a young lady next to me and there was a guy behind me and I told her that, hey, I was going to try for the wrestling team. And he heard me and he said, oh, you'll never make it. You know, I was on the team last year and you know, like, it's hard. It's harder than anything else you could do. You're not, you know, you won't make it. And I didn't even respond, but I heard him. And that burned in my head. And every day I wanted to quit, I could just, I saw him. I, mean, I told you it was hard. and I was like, hell no, nah, dude. I'm never giving you the satisfaction. I, the point is this. Do not let other people dictate what you can and can't do because they couldn't do it. And I don't care who it is. You know, the people who love you, who love you, and they don't want to see you hurt. So they tell you things because they don't want to see you fail. But failure is good. Failure makes character. Because if you can come back from failure, now you're not scared. What's the worst that can happen? I failed at that already. I learned from it, and I'm a to build me better. So I came from losing every match my freshman year. So I got my name on the board, for career wins. You know, I was in the top 20 of all time wrestlers at my high school, for career wins when I left the school. So the point, and again, I wasn't a state champ, but I I never quit. I showed up to practice every day. That leads me into my second lesson, consistency. Show up every day. Show up every day. Even if you're not great, even if you're not practicing or delivering or executing the way you wish you were, just show up. Because by showing up, you already beat most people. If you show up every day, you're going to beat most other people because they're not going to show up. And showing up means anything. I've hosted my podcast for, I think we're on 110 episodes at the time of this recording. There were times when I watched them download numbers and I was like, why am I even doing this? Because if I'm not, you know, getting the traction, sometimes you feel like, man, I'm investing, I'm working, I'm, I'm putting in all this work, I'm putting in all this effort. Where's the results? Where are the results? You can't fall in love with the results. You have to fall in love with the process and then tweak it. I'm not saying don't make changes. Step back. Okay, what can I be doing better? all right, what, why is this not hitting? What's happening here? Adjust, but don't quit. So I think that consistency is really key to having success. And then the third thing is opening up your mindset and asking yourself one simple question, how can I? When you ask yourself, how can I? You open yourself up to the possibilities. How can I raise a million dollars? Now you can go from this. You can, you can look at a situation. Let's say you're looking at a real estate deal. And I don't care where you're at in your real estate journey, people. It's where a market deal, because there's less competition, you can negotiate a better price. But let's say you go to look at you see a deal and you think it's a good deal, but you need a million dollars to buy this deal and you don't have a million dollars. You could look at it one of two ways. It's like, damn, I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had the money to do this. Or man, you know, if I only had the money to do this, or you could say how can i get the money to do this how can i structure this deal to make this work well maybe the owner or the seller would be willing to carry back a second mortgage maybe they'd allow me to do this for 0% down if i gave them if i paid them a higher interest rate maybe i could go get some folks i know to invest in the deal with me so when you ask yourself how can i you open yourself up to solutions before, you know, if you don't do that, sometimes you're just staring at a problem. So I would say the third thing is really just shift the mentality of how can I, and that will open up the doors.
0: That's powerful right there, my brother. I I love what you shared. John, what gift are you giving the world? Wow,
1: man, that's a, that's a heavy question. What gift am I giving the world? I would say the, the possibilities, you know, possibility. What I mean by possibilities is. Um, I talked to you a little bit about kind of my story, you know, to give you more context. You know, I am a, I'm a, a child who had extremely humble beginnings. You know, my parents split when I was five years old. I was on, you know, the, the free lunch programs. Uh, first person in my family to go to college. Only person still to graduate from college. And, you know, I, I'm the oldest child. So for me, it's kind of being the example. And I guess it's, it's being a dreamer. I mean, we've got the Dream Catchers podcast. I think part of it is being a dreamer, you know, and being out there and being an example of what the possibilities are. And in some capacities, I still feel like I'm on the journey. And I'm like, I don't even think I should be talking like this because I'm nowhere near where I expect to be. But on the same note, we have to start from wherever you're at today and then reach back. It helped that guy who, or the gal who was in a situation where they have it in their head but they haven't seen anybody who's done it. You know, you got to see it to believe it. And, you know, I started to see it from networking and just being out more and reading books. And once I, I actually started to meet these people, again, going back to the nine to 90 unit girl, she was the first real estate investor I met, knew in person, didn't read about in the book or something else, but watched. And I knew her when she had three units and I saw her when she got nine units. And when she went to 90, I'm like, all right, time out. So when you have that, then this becomes real. So the gift for me that I'm trying to give the world is my journey, my story, and just being a part of it and being transparent with it. I mean, there's a lot of ups and downs with it, but understanding that it is all possible if you stay focused and you stay committed to it.
0: Now we haven't talked about this, but I found it to be a commonality on people who have a track record like yours. Um, when you first made this shift from you, you, I'm going to do it all by myself to I need a, this dream is bigger than me and what I can do, I need to go and list other folks in, in this dream that I'm working on. What happened? Was everybody on board and ready to li- sign up and give you money or what happened, man?
1: So uh, my mentor, he, um, he had me make a list of a, you know basically a lot of folks who I knew and told me to prioritize folks who I thought might have an interest in investing. I reached out to a lot of those people and, you know, I got head knots, I got head knots, but no, they were not lining up for my next offering. Okay. I think part of that too comes from knowledge. When you start out, you know, you're starting out, you know, no matter how you slice it, you can hire whoever you want to hire, but you're still starting out. If you're not comfortable, getting in front of people and presenting something to them, or you don't have the confidence in it, you know, if you feel like you're selling versus presenting an opportunity, then that's going to come across. And I think as I got more and more comfortable with really understanding the value proposition on both sides, that really helped it, you know, us grow and get more engagement. But yeah, starting out, it was tough because I was nervous and these are friends and people I've known. And, you know, I was a little nervous reaching out to them and, talking to them about it. So it was actually easier for me talking to folks who I didn't know because we could establish relationship and it was based on this. And it wasn't like, okay, I got my cousin's investment and I hope this goes well. Now we do have some family members who invest with us, but you know, there's always that growth. So you can do it either way. What I would say is be, be anticipate some pushback and understand that everyone is not going to be on your vision. You know, your friends and family are your friends and family not necessarily your investors. Now, some of them may invest, but keep in mind their personalities and what they want, it may be different. I was always wired like this. I was always trying to figure out why people weren't reading the Wall Street Journal. You know, like I remember asking my dad, how can you invest in stocks? He looked at me like, boy, what? And I mean, it's just one of them things, you know? So I would say you can't expect other people to see your vision. So you really have to stay focused and so don't, don't judge them either you know, your friends and family They're your friends and family, they're not supposed to be lining up for your investment. That's not fair to them. So I would say there's plenty of investors looking for deals, looking for capital, find the folks who are looking for that, you know, don't try to get grandma your cousin to, you know, finance your dreams. There's a lot of folks out there who are willing to do
0: it. Awesome. So John, you've seen the matrix, right? course long time it's been a minute though but Yeah, yeah 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 but you remember when morpheus and neo are standing there he's got the red pill and the blue pill i suspect you you took the red pill when was that moment for you when were you presented with the you can stick with the status quo or you can go off and do something different when when did that happen for you
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, you get get hit with it a couple times and then there's like a serious time when you really commit to it. I think moving, leaving General Motors, large corporation, even with all that stuff that was going on, I was like crushing it. Like the company was doing well, we rebound and they were, you know, I was on the path to climb and um, I left and moved to Chicago. So that was one of the things where I, you know, I probably took the first half of the red pill because I, you know, I cut off this cushy corporate job. And I was still working in corporate America. It just wasn't for a large company that could pretty much give me anything I wanted. Um, The second time though, was when I hired my mentor. And the reason for that was it's the first time I paid money for someone to teach me anything. I was thought of like a book or something like that, right? Um, It was the first time I had paid another person to teach me anything. And I felt at that moment, I was fully vested And it wasn't like a huge investment, but nonetheless, for me, it was like, all right, now if I'm paying for this, I'm damn sure gonna get my value out of this, right? So, and this was a guy who was walking the walk, you know? He wasn't necessarily the the guy he is today, but he was walking the walk. And it's one of those things where when you see success and someone's telling you what they do and how to do it and they're succeeding, it's like, oh, okay. So at that point, we saw the whole rest of the pill and you start moving, you know, because you, you have to stay focused on what you're trying to get. To me, it was very simple. I wanted financial freedom and I wanted to be able to create the lifestyle where I could do whatever I wanted. And that can change from today to next week. You know, one of the biggest things I'm super excited by the time this probably comes out, it will have happened, but my oldest son starts kindergarten um, in, in August and for the last, I don't know, eight, seven, six, seven years since I got married. Okay. My wife and I, we always talked about we wanted to be wherever we wanted to be by the time he started kindergarten. And I wanted to be there on his first day of school. And not just the first day, but whatever. If he starts playing sports or he has chess club or whatever he decides he wants to do, I want the ability to be there. I don't want to be, oh, well, I gotta work, or I gotta nah. We'll build a schedule around. Not around the kid necessarily, but around the things that I'm passionate about, you know, Um, and that's it, you know, going back to wrestling thing, you know, I was a kid who my parents couldn't come to most of my activities. They had to work, you know, my mom worked two jobs, so she did what she had to do. My dad worked two. My dad worked third shift, you know, second shift and third shift. So they really couldn't come to a lot of my activities and you don't really think about it as a kid, especially when you're, you know, a young black kid and we don't really talk about, you know, the, the, uh, the mental toughness. Or the emotional part of it, but I mean, as a as a 16 year old, 17 year old, you're still a kid, man. And every kid wants to look out in the stands and see their parents supporting. And I mean, I know I know you talked about football, right? Being a football coach, you know, every every kid wants that, man. I remember really bonding with some of my my my, uh, my teammates because their parents weren't in the stands either, you know. And um, it, it bothered me, man. It really did. It really bothered me. And it wasn't it's not a knock or anything like that. They did what they had to do. But point is, is that You know, sometimes when you become a parent, you know, the things from your childhood impact how you act as an adult. And for me, it's not even a money thing. You mentioned I didn't I didn't give you a money number. Right. I haven't told you money. It's not about the money. I like again, I can go back to living in an apartment. I'm good. b. So I can figure that out. It's not so much about the money. It's about how you spend your time, you know, and for me, I always wanted to make sure that I was there for my kids. And that was the important part of it. So the financial freedom, the independence, that's what this is all about. Me and yeah, we want to travel the world and go get our grand card don on and jets and stuff like that, too. But number one, I want to be there with the boys, man. I love my boys. So I want to do that and be there for my wife and fam and all those kind of things. So that's, you know, the point. I think sometimes folks get caught up on the money and don't focus on that, man. Focus on who you want to be as a person. You know, I want to be present with my kids. That's the number one thing. I want them to go up and not look up in the stands and wish daddy was there. And it's, and again, because it's working because he's traveling for work, whatever. Nah, man, it ain't about the money because the money just make you do more work and have more obligations. So you got to figure out the right balance there, you know, make the money and make that money work hard for you, but build the life that you want in that process.
0: Preach preacher. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome and it, it shows so much clarity John um, a lot of people for, they lose track of what's important and it's clear that you understand that you want to do some things different I think we learn from our parents both the things we want to be and the things that we don't want to be and so I applaud you for prioritizing family um, so we're winding, wrapping up man I've got two more questions the first one is what are you most grateful for right now
1: Man, I am, uh, I'm extremely grateful for my family, in particular my wife, just being very patient as, you know, I'm, I'm a dreamer. So, you know, I, I had these thoughts, like I've had this in my head probably for 15 years. I, who knew how it was going to manifest itself? But, you know, I've always thought that I could do various things. But, you know, being patient with me and going down the path on the journey while I, you know, stubbed my toe at times and hit my head at times with just being there to support and dream and like I said we never even had a conversation about why well, I wish I had a house nothing like that so just being very supportive and understanding and all that and also just truly being on that journey with me um I would say that's it and I would say too man I'm uh I'm very thankful for the struggles that I have and I say that because resiliency is extremely important there are a lot of people who do well but the moment they hit you know a hardship they fold because they they don't really know how to overcome that or everything's been handed to them and you know I, you know I've been fortunate to have to figure out a lot of things by myself and starting to wise up to know hey there's there's a lot of other people you can lean on you can lean on, and I would say that's kind of the biggest growth thing for me is just knowing there's always somebody to call you know and don't 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 feel like you have to figure out a situation by yourself. You can always phone a friend, you can always phone a mentor and reach out and I would say for your listeners too, I mean you know you're listening to this, you may not know who I am, but if there's something that you've heard from this episode that you think either me or Jerome for that matter, either one of us can help you with send that note, you know, we appreciate it. It's good to know someone's listening and watching and it's making an impact. So send that note, send that follow up, And I'm sure we'll both help however we can, but you know, just make sure you're taking that action. You know, I think that's the biggest piece.
0: Love it. Love it. And we'll link up so that you can be found. It's not hard to find you though. I think the majority of your social activities and, uh, LinkedIn, but I hear you in your intro talk about sliding in a DM. So I got you doing some Instagram stuff too. Um, John, the last question for this conversation, and I just want to tell you, man, I'm extremely grateful to get to know you even on a deeper level. This really pulled out some things that I hadn't, we hadn't even covered in the conversations that we've had to date. And I, I was a fan of you before, but this just takes it to a new level, man. I really enjoyed your story. What's the one thing you want somebody to take away from this conversation? If You know, they blanked out on the last 45 minutes and they're coming back. What, what's their takeaway?
1: Yeah, I would just say be resilient, you know, set your plans, set your goals. I mean, you have dreams, set a plan for your dreams and go take action and be resilient, you know, and don't let other people tell you you can't do your dreams. You know, just start figuring out a plan. If you if you open up your perspective and go back to, okay, here's my dream. Let's say your dream is to be an astronaut, just for silly reasons. Your dream is to be an astronaut. People tell you you can't be an astronaut. What you have to ask yourself is, how can I become an astronaut? What does it take to become an astronaut? Then you probably want to go talk to some astronauts or talk to some, you know, but I mean, there's a process and you have to break it down methodically to understand, okay, what does it take to accomplish this goal? Who do I know who's accomplished this? Where can I find people who've accomplished this? And then, you know, are there podcasts? Are there books? What can you get from Google? But just start being methodical. And if you want it, go get it. But you got to show up every day and be consistent. I mean, if you add consistency with resiliency, you'll be straight, but just go after it.
0: Perfect, 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 man. John, thanks again. Um, Hey guys, if you made it to this point of the podcast, I'd love a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Um, John, again, thank you, man. I really appreciate your time. We'll talk soon.
1: Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on, all right.
0: Bye. If you want to learn more about Dreamcatchers, please visit the website at com. If you can think of someone who would benefit from these types of opportunities and are willing to share what we're doing with them, we would greatly appreciate it.